0: Welcome to Sleep Talk, the podcast about all things sleep, brought to you by sleephub.com.au. Here are your hosts, Dr David Cunnington and Dr Moira Junger.
1: So welcome to this episode of Sleep Talk. We're up to episode number 56 and the theme for this month, we've changed the order a little bit, but given our current circumstances, we thought we'd talk about the pandemic and what's occurred during the pandemic. And how have you been doing, Moira?
0: Well, hello, Dave. Hello, everyone. It's good to be back on the podcast. Seems like a long time in between we talking. Yeah, I've been doing well. I've been, I'm going okay, but it's certainly a really distressing time. It's a very difficult time right here in Melbourne where we're both residing and recording this today. Yeah, but pretty good. Keeping myself very well, sleeping well, which is good. I think that helps uh, enormously.
1: Yeah, and there's certainly been a lot in the media about sleep in the pandemic, both sort of what's happened and some advice for people. And that's what we're, I'm going to tease Moira out. Uh, a bit about because you've been doing
0: a literature search. Yeah, absolutely. I'm invo- involved in um, a study uh, at Monash University and we're looking at sleep during the COVID-19 era but across longitudinally we're going to be catching up with following up with people for 12 months from from last from the first survey which was around April. Uh, so there lots lots to talk about we'll talk about that later.
1: So another thing you've been involved with is Sleep Awareness Week that's coming up this week.
0: That's right. In Australia, Sleep Awareness Week is this week. It's um, August three through to nine, and the the theme this year is really, um, I guess, it's not so much just the pandemic, but certainly sleep in challenging times. And because we've had, uh, you know, the catastrophic bushfires at the start of the year, and now the global pandemic right now, so the theme is really about getting assistance to obtain adequate sleep in stressful times and to help you better cope with the stressful times. So that's really the the theme and we've got lots of resources, lots of um, hopefully, you know, we've got a press release, hopefully it gets a bit of traction in the media this week.
1: So as I said up front, the theme for this month's podcast is about sleep during the pandemic. And we had this sort of um, false success, I suppose, early, uh, at least in Australia, where we had a brief sort of surge of the pandemic, and then we're doing pretty well through sort of May, but unfortunately in Victoria it's come back and we're all locked down now for a couple of months. And that really is having an impact on people's both health, sleep, mental health, which is why we thought it would be timely to do this sort of episode. And not just in Australia, around the world, lots of people being affected by the pandemic in a whole range of different ways. Many countries in various sorts of uh, lockdown, which then impacts on personal connections because we're just not getting that sort of face-to-face personal connection. And one of the interesting things for me, and I'm sure for you too, Moira, with your interest in sort of the social determinants of health, has just been how this has really shown a, a bright light on how things can affect, you know, those who are better off socioeconomically versus those that aren't quite so well uh, well off in that regard.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. It- the people that are being impacted more severely are those that were already vulnerable and there's already been inequalities that are well established, yet they are probably been out of, you know, our front and centre of, of the media particularly and of all of us. That's been probably the hardest thing and to, to, to watch. Um, and I think yeah, people certainly in terms of losing their job or the kind of job that you have to be still at the front line or still doing casual work and unfortunately taking risks ridiculous risks with your health that are impacting terribly on the community because people are if you know feeling that they do need to keep working they don't have the the, the safety nets
1: Yeah, and you and I have both been doing or still been working very hard seeing a lot of people who are having trouble both with their mental health and sleep and an interesting thing for me because I've been doing it solely via telehealth and often video conferencing is you get to see people in their homes and it really gives a much more context than when people are coming to see me in my office oh. you know for me it's brought home some of those differences you know the people who have you know working professionals um sort of can comfortably work from home because of the nature of their work they're well set up with it infrastructure versus those who are yeah more uh, don't really have that same access to resources and really find it much more challenging
0: that's right. So there's all those sort of economic inequalities but, and also I think it's really highlighted those that were already vulnerable. If you had some vulnerability with your mental health particularly, then I think it's just a catastrophic blow, you know, to a lot. Of, it's just very hard, the normal coping mechanisms, um, you know, just a lot of stuff that we would prescribe around, you know, going for walks or socialising, a lot of stuff that's just so important for our mental health. It's actually just, you know, it's inaccessible. Like you get a fine for going around to your friend's house. It's just a a dreadful sort of set of circumstances. Of course, I'm a a big proponent for understanding the need for it. But, gee, I'm really, really really worried about what's to come.
1: And in the media, we've heard many stories across this pandemic, really across this year, about the different things it's done to sleep. We had early on in the pandemic lots of media stories about COVID dreams and you and I got lots of interview requests to talk about what's this COVID dreams thing and other media articles saying people aren't sleeping as much and other reports saying they're sleeping a bit more. So what have you found now that there's some of these papers that have really looked at this a bit more systematically? What have you been finding in the literature, Maura? Well,
0: the literature, um, it's a big, vast array of, I think, some not so great quality and some pretty great great quality. The ones that were churned out pretty quickly, of course, just, you know, very sort of just obviously they were observational, just snapshots, um, just not really, you can't really infer too much from just this, the snapshot and a lot of people who talked about mental health conditions or even indeed the word insomnia. It's very unclear as a reader of the paper really what the diagnostic criteria was or whether these people are in fact You know, I don't think they were necessarily people. So it's really uh, mental health symptoms and insomnia symptoms rather than any kind of condition. So it's hard to, uh, and also it's just a snapshot, like one day or so they did a survey. That's very hard to know over time. So time will tell because the first papers did come out in early March uh, and here we are, you know, August, they're still churning out at uh, at a rapid rate. I think the best quality papers are going to be the ones that have the follow-up you know, that, that uh, longitudinal data because preliminary stuff that I've been looking at both in our study I'm involved with but also but pretty much what I'm talking about is people around the world very much is around your own personal perceptions of the threat regardless of how many cases are in your suburb or in your city or in your country. It's much more around sort of your own potential, like your how you, how you see it and, and how prone you are anyway to sleep disturbance how prone you are to psychological distress, um, all those things around threat. There's certainly going to be some good uh, things that will come out of it, I think, are the, definitely the socioeconomic factors um, and sex differences. Like um, Women particularly uh, are often the ones at the front line. You know, There, there are certainly gender issues that are, are going to be, that's certainly highlighted already in the literature and I think we'll, we'll see more of that. In terms of occupations, people have sometimes only looked at healthcare workers, and some people have only looked at the general population. And I think that it's going to be very different. It's going to be really important to see the difference in, say, frontline workers, but not only just in that snapshot of that month or that that day they were surveyed, but you know, three months down the track, six months down the track, one you know, one or two years down the track, because I think that's where, at the moment, I think when you're in the acute crisis it's really just that it's I think what we're talking about is psychological distress and I think down the track is when we're going to be looking at really is does this translate into you know diagnosable mental health condition that's problematic and or diagnosable sleep disorders that need treatment that are that be that a direct result uh, of all this psychological stress distress at the moment so I you know that's that's um In a nutshell, you know, there's the the various themes that are there. I think in terms of some, yes, there's certainly people um, reporting less sleep and and some of them, um, they're statistically significant. But occasionally I I read and think, oh, it's not much difference really. Like it might be, say, 15 minutes difference across the whole night. So clinically, not a massive thing, but statistically it was. And so that the paper's headlines are, are pretty ramped up around the sleep, but but you know, you and I would read it and think, "Well, I'm not sure," but yeah. But I think certainly the statistical stuff ticked it up that it is really it is significant, and longer term has potential to be greatly significant um, yeah. in the in these people who are having this acute distress and a acute drop in in their in their sleep and and in, you know not getting the quality sleep that they want and and in fact need. I remember when we spoke in. Late March, we did a quick little pandemic update when we in, you know, when, when it first hit us and we we're all in a bit of shock. And I know I wasn't sleeping well. I know the difference now. This time around, I'm strangely calm, super distressed and worried about people. But in terms of I'm able, because I'm sleeping well, because I'm looking after myself, um, I feel so much different about my ability to cope with the distress. And I think that's going, I think that's my focus. Uh, from here on in, in the studies and in the literature and just looking at that at longer term effect of what sleep what sleep can do to really both to really bolster your mental health and your coping ability.
1: Yeah, and that'll be interesting as the you know, studies do get some follow up is yeah, what's that is there a difference in that acute stress response when there's that, you know, our lives are turned upside down in terms of not even a new normal, it's just totally different to what we're yeah. used to. And then as that you know, if you know, then have that prolonged period of uncertainty and in a, in a chronic stress model, what does that do in the longer term in terms of evolving other mental health disorders? But it hasn't all been bad. You and I anecdotally have certainly seen, certainly seen a subgroup of people who are sleeping longer or this has actually mm-hmm. created some potential advantages or helped them with their sleep.
0: Absolutely, anecdotally. And so in the literature too, a lot of um, that really large-scale USA data with the Fitbits, I think it was, or some kind of wearable. Yeah. Showing that yeah, indeed people are sleeping longer and sleeping in and, enjoy- and and all that sort of stuff. So I think, but I wonder, I mean, I would argue that even the people wearing the Fitbits are of a different socioeconomic group <laughs> um, that even to, you know, to, to be wearing them, purchasing them, be all up with that. I think that we'll see that those that have enjoyed more sleep yeah, they're able to work from, they're working from home, so they're in, a, they're in a higher socioeconomic group. They're not on the front line necessarily. And I think too people with a phase delay, that people just who really like, that naturally love sleeping um, and that don't have to now report to maybe their first meeting on Zoom is at nine, so they could get up at, you know, quarter to nine or something rather than quarter to six, like driving in from the suburbs. So those sorts of, there certainly there's no doubt that there's a certain group in the population worldwide that are sleeping more and sleeping better because due, directly due to the pandemic. Yeah. But I'm really confident that overall we'll, we'll see the overall, particularly related to your perceptions of threat and distress and what actually you're doing every day and how much you've been affected yeah, economically, yeah. will be crucial things to to, to watch in terms of, how people are impacted.
1: Also, to the subgroup of people we see who've actually got sleep disorders, who for years yeah. have been, you know, asking the employers about flexible working arrangements because that would yeah. just make it so much easier for them to cope. All of yeah. a sudden comes a pandemic and there's the flexible working arrangements that they really needed and they're That's right. performing but well was, and performing better. Yes.
0: So resistant to, you know, to, to giving them. A lot of workplaces have just, I mean, They've been so slow, really, or, or suspicious or, you know, unwilling to have these flexible work arrangements because they want to have that visibility factor. They want to see them in front of that desk nine to five or, or more. And I think, there yeah, are those people with hypersomnia. We haven't touched on that yet, but that's another group. It has been a really important thing for them that they have, are thriving a bit more than they would otherwise because of increased opportunity for sleeping. Yep. And, and resting.
1: Yeah, absolutely and the other group that comes to mind for me is people with fatigue syndromes. I've certainly seen you know people with fatigue yes. syndromes and yes. overlap of sleepiness is a, a number of people that I see that have you know just that flexible yeah. working arrangements that before weren't possible that yeah. now seem to be possible. So they're the are other problems What can people do in terms of trying to improve their sleep? feel better, reduce their risk of running into trouble with mental health?
0: Well, I would love people to click on the resources on the Sleep Health Foundation website where the fact sheets are. We've bundled them up into sleep and mental health and we've got also COVID-19 resources as well. So there's are different areas. We've bundled up quite a few different fact sheets that are related to that theme. The thing is to actually just be very aware. So, you know, self-aware is, is one of the key things that to to notice yourself like is this is this normal for me am I deteriorating am I improving you know just first of all as a statement just to be increased with your self-awareness I think that people need to prioritize sleep like and and it sounds like a sort of a motherhood statement but it's to know that it is to, to respect it and to have a really positive attitude towards sleep and if there's difficulty there then to then to troubleshoot and that's that's, you know, a whole range of stuff. It's not just listicles of do this, don't do that. It's more around principles of those things I'm talking about, like the attitude, expectations, knowledge, getting support, knowing that things like stimulants, like caffeine, alcohol, uh, other drugs, lots of, you know, junk food, they're, they're, they're things that are just, you know, that make you feel good in the short term do have a lot of, you um, Let's call them side effects. Like they just don't, you just don't feel very well, and, and it and it interferes with sleep, your normal sleep promoting processes. So, though you know those sorts of things, increasing exercise. But again, these are the, the things I was talking about earlier. I, I go very hard on the um, looking at diet and looking at exercise and looking at social connection, and and all those sorts of things are really impaired at the moment. So it is very hard. So where there's an impairment, where you can't, you still still do your walk. And the things like social connection, even though you can't see people, make the most of of Zoom and telephone and maybe just going for a walk with another person if if you're in a lockdown situation.
1: Yeah, and I like the word word that you used was um, expectation around sleep as well. Everything's different. Our daytimes are different. Our lives are different. Our routines are different. So around sleep, we should be not necessarily sticking to our going to bed at the same time we've always gone to bed, get up at the same time as we've always gotten up, expect sleep to be the same as it's always been. In fact, Mm. expect sleep to be different because our entire lives are different and sleep's really a barometer of what's going on in the rest of our lives. And so being able to just roll with the fact that it may be a little harder to get to sleep if the brain's a little busier, we may be waking a little more if there's a bit more uncertainty Or conversely, as we've talked about, we may be sleeping a bit longer or drift to a little bit later because we're not getting as much exposure to the outside world. So, just being flexible that sleep's going to be different and to roll with that rather than still trying to force it into that sleep's the one thing I want to hang on to that's my stability that's not changed by the pandemic.
0: Yeah. and, And just to be aware that the more distressed you are anyway, and then if you get distressed about not sleeping, it's just going to snowball. And going to just make things worse overall. So understanding that, yeah, just to, to roll with getting poor sleep. I'm looking up. You know, I've talked a bit last time about. You know, we've got lots of resources on on the podcast from previous episodes around the principle, the behavioural principles, particularly of of CBTI. Making sure that you don't try to lie in bed and try, try, try get into bed for eight hours when you're only getting four or five. To make sure that you curtail your time in bed awake, match the time with really how much hours of sleep you are getting. And also just, yeah, reducing that stimulation and not having all your gadgets in the bedroom with you or the children or the pets or, I mean, you know, in general just being able to manage all those external stimuli and the internal uh, stimuli, what's going on, like, yeah, the racing mind that you mentioned, people, you know, you can. You can learn to calm yourself down with various exercise or meditation or or funny movies or you know and and then making sure you yeah, delay your sleep onset. Uh, and be very aware that bed is just for sleeping. Be very aware that you need daytime exposure still. You do need light. You need to be out in the light in the morning, getting all you know, suppressing your melatonin because you only want it at night. And then when it comes to being dark the next you know that evening, To be in dim light conditions, turn all the overhead lights off. Make sure that your brain gets the messages that it's dark. Don't be plonked in front of a screen for too long. But not trying too hard. In fact, rather than chasing sleep, what you're doing is merely providing the conditions for sleep to come to you. And it's a really subtle difference but it's an important one that you have to just have the conditions right for sleep to do its thing rather than thinking you have to do this, do this, do this, do this, and it'll just upset the apple card and put too much pressure on the process and the sleep will continue to be frustratingly poor.
1: Yeah, that's a really nice point that, you know, if people can create the right space and opportunity for sleep but then be not so concerned about what happens in that space. That, mm. as a, mm. And it is a tricky balance of not being mm. too careful about sleep and not getting too caught up in counting how many minutes and I woke so mm. many times and that means this and it's going to have this flow on effect. Just been able to step back a bit from that and just trust, okay, I've set aside that space for rest, recovery, sleep, and I'll just take what comes in that space. And I think it's also important too that people recognise this is a challenging time. So even if they don't have a normal practice of self-care, be that some time off or meditation or you know things for self-compassion, that that becomes part of our routine during the pandemic because we need it. At the moment, in a way that we haven't needed necessarily, when things everything was going the way we wished it went.
0: Uh, yeah, I think self compassion. If you haven't really read much about that or thought about that, and self care to, to make it make it a, one of the the, the take home messages of twenty twenty. Obviously, the Sleep Health Foundation and the Australasian Sleep Association have you know good resources, a directory of people you can go and see. Because I don't think people need to jump into a sleep disorders centre straight
1: away. Like a lot of this stuff will settle itself. Yeah, it's a really nice point, Maura. So taking that sort of stepped care approach, so use those self-help resources. But if they're not working, very early talk to your sort of primary care healthcare providers and they know you well and they'll work with other things with your health and some other strategies. And then if that's not working, that's really when people end up in your office or my office and a specialist sort of practitioners in the sleep area. So I'll put the links to those resources uh, in the show notes uh, and check them out because they really are an excellent collection of resources.
0: What's your tip of the month, Dave?
1: The tip this month isn't about what healthcare practitioners should be doing for their clients. It's what healthcare practitioners should be doing for themselves. Now, talking from personal experience, now having been doing sort of solely telehealth consulting for a good 16, 17 weeks, it's pretty draining, and it's really different. And as someone who runs a a small business that's a medical practice, that brings its own challenges. And a lot of healthcare providers are either in that situation of trying to run a business and look after clients, or they're at the acute coal face and they've got a real risk of being exposed to the virus themselves. With a lot of healthcare providers being Um, exposed to coronavirus. So it's a vulnerable time for healthcare providers, but also a time we really need to be there for the population and for people who are having trouble. So look after yourselves. That's really my tip. Telehealth's different. I don't seem to get up and down out of my chair, so I've got some physio things to do so that I'm not getting too tense, sitting at the same position at the desk, making sure we're having some time out, recognising it's actually challenging trying to provide care in these times if people are a little bit more anxious. So we need to make sure we're sort of filling our own buckets more than we would otherwise, because otherwise we run the risk of burning out and that's not going to be good for anybody in this situation.
0: Good advice.
1: here. hear. So Moira, what's your pick of the month?
0: Well, my pick of the month has actually come from Scotland and it's not necessarily related to sleep but it's related to what we're talking about this is the theme around covid-19 and distress and and the need for good sleep to bolster our mental health so i'm interested i've recently joined a um, a group the international initiative for mental health leadership and i've joined their mailing list i'll put the link in the show notes because i think it's a lot of people might be interested to also be on the this subscribe to this mailing list and this group of um, people have undertaken some recent work um, in Scotland, like a, did a rapid review of looking at the impacts of COVID nineteen on mental health. So I won't go into all of it, but it's uh, it's really interesting reading. And I think that the what stuff we were talking about earlier, that um, even before the COVID nineteen crisis, both internationally and here, we both would we, everyone would agree that there was this rising public health awareness and demand for mental health treatment was outstripping supply anyway. And I think that certainly that's our experience too. Like it was already something that was on the rise. It's already, you know, long waiting lists. It's hard for people to get seen. And I think the, these, this group, have, um, they're thinking that there's going to be different impacts on different populations, but also associated with those traditional inequalities that we've already highlighted. So I'll put the link to that in the show notes. I think it's been really interesting really for me recently. What about you? What what's taken your eye?
1: Well, it's not about sleep either, but it's a book. You know how I love my books. This one's a book called Skin in the Game, Hidden Asymmetries in Daily Life by Nassim Nicholas Taleb. And it's a book from a couple of years ago from 2018. And one of the things I, there's a quote I really like in the book. And that particular quote is, in academia, there's no difference between academia and the real world. In the real world, there is <laughs> that's that's the, prim, that's the premise of the book is that if you're you don't have skin in the game you don't have that real face-to-face involvement and aren't going to share in the negative consequences of decision making then it actually affects the decisions that you make and the reason i that really resonates for me is you know in the last few years in the healthcare setting there's been lots of increased regulation regulations important we absolutely need regulation But at times the regulation is so disconnected from clinical service delivery and you can tell it's from people that that don't have skin in the game. There's these regulations put in place that have absolutely no consequence for them if they don't work or they have negative consequences and exclude parts of the population from access to care or create barriers to care. Whereas for those of us who are involved in working with patients day to day, We've got a bit more skin in the game. We, you know, these things have consequences with how we can do our job, how we can provide services for people. They end up with people missing out on services. So look out over coming episodes for, again, an episode on pain, which we're still working on and I hope to bring you over the next couple of months. Um, Something else to look forward to is sleep week. So the Australasian Sleep Association's annual conference has turned into a virtual. Conference this year, and it's going to be three days of symposia preceded by a day of postgraduate courses running between October 20 and October 23. And it's accessible to anybody. It is a paid event, but if people pay their subscription and it's not particularly expensive, uh, then they can access great resources about sleep.
0: Yeah, that's going to be excellent. I'm really happy to see that. All right, that went fast. It's already the end. Thanks for listening, everyone. And remember to send us any suggestions at podcast.com at sleephub.com.au and remember if you like the podcast you can leave us a review on itunes subscribe by any podcast catcher or via the sleep talk app thanks a lot bye this podcast is not intended as a substitute for your own independent health professionals advice diagnosis or treatment always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider within your country or place of residency with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition